Before listening to this episode, we at Betsy Boss wanted to advise our listeners that this episode was recorded prior to the protests perpetuated by the senseless murder of George Floyd and other members of the black community by police officers and other perpetrators of racially charged violence. We want to take this historical moment to voice our sincere support for the Black Lives Matter movement and for all members of the black community. We wanted to express awareness that George Floyd's murder and the murder of other members of the black community were not the results of random killings. Rather, they were perpetuated by and a predictable outcome of systemic and institutionalized racism in this country. We stand with the black community at this time and will strive to be the best allies we can. Instead of just posting a black square and going dark on Blackout Tuesday, we are going to take concrete steps to be actively anti-racist. First, we will be using our Instagram to highlight Black-owned businesses in Philadelphia so that you all can put your money where your mouth is and take economic action. Second, we will be providing the names of Black podcasters so that we can do our part to empower and amplify Black voices. Finally, we will provide links on social media to donate to causes that are relevant to this movement and close to our own hearts. White silence is complicity with the situation and the offenders. And at Betsy Boss, we acknowledge our privilege, condone speaking out, and condemn racism and prejudice of all kinds. Hello, and welcome to the Betsy Betsy Boss Boss Podcast. Welcome back. We are just rounding out week 11 in isolation here, and we're starting to feel a little bit of, what do you call that? I don't know, happiness? Kidnapper's syndrome. (laughs) Oh, Stockholm. We're feeling some Stockholm syndrome. Just call me Patty Hearst. Yeah, because we're starting to get worried about going back into society. I mean, even though there's a lot to hate about being trapped inside and not seeing anybody, there's a lot to love about it, too. Patty Hearst, it's not the worst. Patty Hearst, it's (laughs) not the worst. In fact, we even found a little song that it looks like it was written by a lady named... Shirley Serban or Serban and it goes a little something like this my personal anthem it is incredible (coughs) why do we stay here well this virus is really quite a problem and it's making people sick the virus must be nasty yes really I want to go out I'm so lonely It makes me want to cry. (coughs) Well, now, if anything bothers me and I'm feeling unhappy, I just try to think of nice things. What kind of things? Oh, well, let me see. Nice things. Lazy days. No work clothes. Nice stocked-up bar. Watching old movies. And raiding the kitchen. Browsing online, I can fuel my addiction. Staying in bed, having no alarms ring. Nothing to do, it's my favorite thing. <coughs> Who can be lonely with Netflix? There's oodles. Stuffing my face with chips, lollies, and noodles. Wild parties, singing, and living like kings. Being in lockdown is my favorite thing. Playing Grand Theft Auto with guns and car crashes Not doing makeup or curling eyelashes We hate Corona with all that it brings But staying at home is my favorite thing Lazy long nights, days not working Home is not too bad I simply do all of my favorite things And then I don't feel so Use your elbow. (laughs) At least he's not coughing. Food stops and doses and dressing gown fashion. Hours of keeping up with the Kardashians. Using house party and having a fling. Self-isolation, my favorite thing.
So you heard that, <laughs> right? That. I mean, that is such a great depiction. It is my personal anthem. Oh, big time. I mean, uh, as much as it would be nice to like go outside without fear. Yeah. I just, I don't, I'm going to miss this period of time in I, some ways. I, as a, as a self-proclaimed introvert, I am living my best life. I'll tell you what, I'm an extrovert and I still love this <laughs> shit. Like I am just loving staying home oh my god yeah it, it, i'm i am not minding waking up at eight or seven fifty. yep and starting work at eight o'clock like Ugh, not even a little i'm bit. not minding it like, it's been great and how about having the freedom to drop a deuce at any point in your day oh my god as if if you haven't listened to last week's episode you know Oof. exactly what we're talking about that sketch is right on point yeah and having to here's another non-work related thing i just personally as a giant people pleaser and pussy um just generally (laughs) (laughs) just generally um not having to hang out with people that i don't want to spend time with my god not having to do all the small talk like yeah you have to do the little skype social you know whatever like instant messaging things but it's not the like hey how are you oh hey great yeah how's your life mm, oh the same the kids? yeah what'd you do over the weekend like and at least now you're expected not to have anything going on in your life i, I feel just like it's going to say that right like don't you feel like it's so much more acceptable and people aren't trying to cover it up anymore like right i feel like i can verbalize to people you know what? Nothing's going on and nothing's going to be going on. And that's normal because if something was going on, that would mean that I broke quarantine and I've been doing God knows what. I don't know where because nowhere's open, but we are supposed to switch to yellow on June 5th, whatever that means. Oh, really? Governor. Oh my God. I still have not started with my like daily news updates again so we're not missing much and honestly i think it's still subject to change but i'm just really wondering if it's actually safe for us to go out there again or if all of the businesses have just pressured the governor so much that he's like you know what we've got to open for the sake of the economy and just risk it well again i don't know i'm a big youtube person i watch random things and i was doing you know my daily at the very beginning of this daily news updates and everything so i think that's still in my good old algorithm there um and i just saw something recently that apparently china i don't know i didn't watch it but i saw the the like you know little uh screenshot or whatever uh, where they opened up again, but now they've had kind of their second wave. Yeah, they've is that true? Yeah, yeah. See that so too? I had heard that um, maybe a week or so ago. Yeah. that at least like a large um, portion of China had to shut back down. Right. Yeah. Um, just yep. because, and it's exactly what they said would happen. I, that which, they were going to yeah, release like people. that's logic. Like, yeah, <laughs> and I think the same thing did or didn't happen in Georgia. Oh, um, cause really? they opened up maybe a month ago now. Wow. And, um, I think they finally had some sort of spike, I'm but then you just all. hear like... so much conflicting information. I mean, some sources will say, wow, it's shocking. You know, they're let everybody out again and there's no spike, but yeah. you just don't know who to believe. And it's this weird undercurrent of, can we trust the news? I mean, obviously no. President Trump doesn't because he coined the term fake news, mm. um, which, you know, he's mm, yeah. a buffoon. But I just, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I it's know. hard to well, know where the information is coming That's honestly from. why I think I stopped watching it, too, because it's like it hypes you up because if you watch it on a daily basis, you're like, oh, my God, like the numbers are going up. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but at changes. the same time, it's just like, I don't know. It just. I don't know. It's hard. I would rather be on the cautious side rather than just being like, well, whatever, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Let's go back out there and just take our risks. And No. And how know. about those things that you just don't want to do that are going to start happening again? I am going to fully use the excuse hey, you know what? I just don't think it's safe out there yet. I'm going to I'm gonna take another couple months. I'm anxious. I'm going <laughs> to yeah, stay I'm home. nervous about this COVID <laughs> stuff. I have people who have lowered immune systems oh that are in you my vicinity. I'm on level COVID-22. So right? COVID-19. Oh, COVID-100. Oh, my God. I yeah. gained the COVID-19. Oh That's what God. I'm not trying to yeah. show off to these people. The right? The COVID-19. The COVID-19, <laughs> that man. That is so good. And it is so rough. sadly true. And I think we 
we all have. I mean, it's just hard. Oh, that's so good. It's really tough, but oh. ugh, but yeah. So basically, we're feeling the stress of potentially having to go back at least some point in the near future. Yeah. And it doesn't help that none of the workplaces can give you a definitive date. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. It's a lot of, well, it's going to be in the near future. Yeah, exactly. And we're like, well, near could be a month or it could be a couple of weeks. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what near means I, anymore. I think it's going to be a ways off, especially being on the East Coast. And also, at the same time, like, they were really nervous about our whole company going on online, like, everybody having to do remote, you know, login and At the same time, yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously there haven't been many issues. So at this point I'm like, why, why risk it to go back? And like, they're only going to bring in a fourth of the yes. you know, popula- <laughs> population. The you have to wear masks when you go to the bathroom and when you're in like the outside of your cubicle and all this stuff. And it's just like, why then? Like, I'd I rather know. stay home than like go in and do this for what reason? I completely agree. And there's the whole fact of the matter that our cubes that we work in are on top of each other. Yeah. I mean, even if you were to separate people out into groups Which based on their they, geographic location. That's what they told us they're going to do. That yeah, they're they gonna, should. Like, space us out. But that's what I'm saying. At the same time, it's like, why bring us in then if it's working well enough at home? Like, yeah. And not to mention, I mean... There's going to be those common areas. There's going to be the bathrooms. There's yeah. going to be printers. What about just like surfaces around the office? What about meeting rooms? Doorknobs. I mean, yeah. <laughs> your average elevators. Yeah. Oh, mean, my God. They actually addressed elevators, which was funny. On They had a very much broader, several levels up um, team conference meeting, whatever, uh, like two weeks ago. And they addressed this. And they made it sound beforehand, like you were saying, like, oh, it's going to be, you know, they're going to give us a ton of information on, like, what's going to happen, what the plan is. And they gave no definitive date. Of course. They literally said, it could be weeks, it could be months. It we're could go- be years. Yeah, like, we're going by the government and the local, you know, because it's multiple locations, blah, blah, blah. They're following, you know, what the current practices are and the locations or whatever. But they're like... We realized there are several, you know, obstacles and elevators was one of the ones Ugh. they addressed. And it was like, we don't want to slow down, you know, moving people up and down or whatever. But that's one of the things we're going to have to address where it's like. Oh, for crying yeah, out loud. Yeah, like you're going to be able to have like two people in an elevator and there's going to be a line and it's just, Ugh. it's stupid. And then the line of people is all going to get infected because they're so close right. together. I just, I don't see it happening anytime soon. I don't know. I don't either. Yeah, and but then again, I'm like kind of scared that it is going to happen I anyway. Am too. I'm, I'm so afraid that any week we're going to get an email and it's going to be like, guess what? Next week you're on the team that's going back. Ugh, like no, and no. honestly, I'm not ready to put on my damn pants again. I don't think I have pants I can put on. Again. Me neither. Like, I do. I haven't worn anything with a zipper or a snap oh, or a button. If I since can't March. pull them up in one step, they have not been on me in months. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. If they don't have a drawstring on them. Then. <laughs> forget it elastic yeah exactly elastic yes, and drawstring please. that's about it oh yeah latex Ugh. i got the polyester yeah. we're just well, thank god you're not zoe from zoom yeah tell me about it <laughs> that latex allergy who comes back to bite uh, you later in life god. no safe sex for zoe Aww. strict raw dog in it yeah either that or using lambskin uh oh it's so gross <laughs> but yeah our um our girl of the day <laughs> our topic for today is the lovely, the beautiful, the mystifying Centoya Brown. Yeah. Which, if you've heard of Centoya Brown, she was um, a young woman who was 16 years old when she got charged with criminal homicide, aggregate, Jesus, aggravated robbery, possession of weapons, which was a handgun, and criminal impersonation. Um, and she basically... It's just it's a fascinating case because the whole thing hinges on whether she should have been tried as an adult or as a child. Yeah. And I mean, what do you think about this? This is just it's it's really interesting and it's sad because I think she seemed very bright in spite of her circumstances. Yeah. I mean, she was very out of it. She was Yeah, she to me struck me as like so we watched, both of us, separately the uh, documentary Murder to Mercy, the Santoya Brown story on Netflix. Highly recommend. Yeah, I, I liked it. I will say my one thing, which is probably 
kind of an uh, ironic uh, commentary on it, but um, I thought it focused so much on the legal process. Yes. Which I think is important. I think it's really important because it's, it's the whole crux of like why this happened and, and why she was in jail for as long as she was. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't know, to me personally, I was like, Ugh, like enough already. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't care about, you know, or post conviction, just the, like, like the legal, yeah, the nuances. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't care as much about that. I want to hear her story. I want to see her. Yeah. We don't want to know about the procedural right. stuff. I yeah. mean, we did enough of that in law school yeah. and it kind of, it gets old. Um, and you know, granted, I like seeing the perspectives of some of these lawyers and kind of what they were going to have to prove in order to, yeah. you know, make a certain, um, eventuality happen. But it's just, I don't know. It's a really interesting case. There's, um, there's rape, there's murder, there's, whew, there's all the elements yeah. of any scandalous story. Yeah. So I did think it was interesting though, because, um, actually when we were in law school and I was this summer actually clerking for a judge when, um, I don't even know, I should have written it down the, <laughs> uh, but where juveniles could no longer be sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. And I remember when that came down actually, and um, just listening from kind of the other side, I guess, with judges um, and whatnot, being like, oh, my God, this is going to be a crazy burden on the legal system to have to mm-hmm. listen to these cases again. But to me, I think it I think it makes sense. And there was one um, lawyer who, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but when she was taking courses in jail and she was taking the um, – college courses one of her professors was actually one of the individuals that pushed for the 51 year sentence limit um kind of the i don't know i did i should meanwhile is pretty long yeah also 51 why not 50 like right i don't know that random number like that bothers me oh i know i hated that yeah i was like 51 right Uh, like really yeah 101 dalmatians yeah jesus cruella de vil over here like i don't know but um so he it was really interesting to see because he he was saying how you know she had to essentially go back and you know be in this course with this guy who was the one that kind of advocated for this process Um, And she was very understanding of it. But I think he said it best where he eventually testified on her behalf before the clemency board saying it's not so much about setting these like strict limits where it's got to be 51. Who knows why years. Um, It's about tailoring it to the individual and just owing it to children Mm -hmm. where you have to reevaluate their cases. It may be the fact that they're the type of individual that like needs to be in there for years Mm -hmm. um but it might not be and i think that was really for me kind of the crux of it like every child needs and deserves the you know for their case to be reevaluated a second chance yeah 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 and it's interesting too i mean Sintoya just had the misfortune of being in the worst state for this shit Tennessee was like the worst state. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So apparently, um, you know, in the United States, all the states have laws that allow these juveniles to get transferred into adult court. Oh, um, I think I know what you're going to say. You know, if they've gone for like a serious enough um, offense or crime. But Tennessee has the harshest mandatory minimum life sentence for juveniles once they get transferred so you know they had to serve 60 years and then like you said there was the possibility of parole only after 51 years random fucking as hell (laughs) um but yeah apparently in tennessee at the time juveniles could get transferred on any charge Uh, that they're over 16 which is insane yeah so apparently there were people there were kids as young as 12 that got transferred in Tennessee on homicide charges. And when we're saying transferred to, we mean to adult to adult court, like prison. adult prison, yeah. mm-hmm. which is in a twelve-year-old. I mean, that's a baby. I, I don't know. That is in. That's a middle schooler. That like, is a middle that schooler. That is insane to me. Yeah. So poor Santoya. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't know. This has always bothered me. It's like why? Why do we have the limit of what's an adult? Like, who's an adult, who's a child, if we're not going to... Use it. Yes. That always drove me crazy because it's like, 
well, why do we have it then? Yeah, if we're not going to differentiate. Yeah. I mean, and if a 12-year-old isn't a child, then who is? Oh, my God. I yeah. mean, maybe you've had your bar mitzvah if you're part of the Jewish faith <laughs> and you're an adult in the eyes of the fucking... Uh, or your confirmation over here in the Catholic religion. There you go. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, back in the day, maybe you were middle-aged in oh ancient Egypt, but you sure as shit are not yeah, an adult I don't even at know if today. I was, uh, my parents didn't even want me to babysit until I was 13. So. Yeah. Oh, there's no way. <laughs> but um, it's interesting. I mean, they Centoya's lawyers obviously had the interest of keeping her in the children's juvenile court because yeah. um, they were hopeful that you know, she would get the psychological services that she actually needed there, yeah. which, by the way, she needed some serious services. I mean, this broad was, she gone, <sighs> she went through some shit. Yeah, yeah. So I guess just going back to a little bit of background. So she was born on January 29th, uh, 1988 at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Her biological mother was Georgina. She went by Gina Mitchell. Her mother was 16 um, when she became pregnant with Centoya. She actually said she got pregnant on her 16th birthday. Mm. And, oh, it was just a really rough start for her. Yeah. Um, and Centoya got into her trouble when she was 16. The officers were making that so point. much. And, you know, um, they had some psychological evaluation going on with the psychiatrists or, you know, what have you. And the fellow was saying... You know, Centoya, do you find it unusual yeah. that um, your mom sort of got in trouble by getting knocked up? Um, obviously, he used more delicate language, but she got pregnant when she was your yeah. age. And now here at age 16, you are getting in trouble again. Yeah. Um, and just, I mean, she never met her father, which was interesting. And it sounds like there was just this crazy history of mood swings. Mental illness. Yeah, crazy and, mental yeah. illness. Um anger depression um alcohol and drug abuse was a big, oh, huge theme which big. I, I have to say too it was really i don't know it was impressive i guess to see her mom admit that too so candidly because yeah. if she had not i wouldn't be surprised if she was still in jail now because i feel like that was a big part later on um with fetal alcohol syndrome um being one of the main defenses for her getting clemency mm -hmm. um but yeah it was just she was really it's hard too because um her so she at the age of two was adopted by a woman named Ellenette I think was um think so. her name she was a teacher just a wonderful woman really really cared about her mm -hmm. um has stuck by her side the whole time uh through this whole process and You'd think at age two, she was adopted. She had this great, you know, opportunity and things were going to look up for her. Um, she actually, uh, watching this documentary, from six months on and off, she was actually with Elnette um, because her mom, which again, props to her, at least on this, um, realized that she couldn't care for Centoya like she should be and was not in the headspace herself to be a mom and be, you know, a, a good mom. Um, so Thank she, God, yeah. Yeah, she really did do right by her in that way. Yeah, having the wherewithal to know that she just couldn't handle it. Yeah, but it just, it kind of shows you that despite your upbringing opportunities, like mental illness can really kind of overtake all of that. Yeah, and it's that nature versus nurture yeah. argument. I mean, and, you know, all of those experiments are done via adoption cases because, yeah. you know, you really can see, all right, what traits does this person inherit? Do they inherit the traits of their adoptive parent oh, or do I they have... inherit the traits of their biological parent? And my God, the traits that poor Santoya um, came from were just really rampant um, with just mental illness. Like you said, yeah. suicide. I mean, her grandmother, her mom's mom, um, apparently shot herself in the stomach. Ugh. And then her great-grandmother also shot herself in the yeah. chest. So there was And her just... brother, too, I think. Had and her some... brother, that's yeah. right, or uncle or something. Yeah. Or, um, yeah, her uncle, her mother's brother. Yeah. Yeah. You know, also, you know, history of suicidal tendencies and mental illness, anger, um, a lot of these kind of paranoid, angry feelings of... Um, just negativity and ugh, it's it's sad i mean it really sounds like a terrible way to grow up yeah yeah and it's hard because 
like we said, like she was given a great opportunity with her mother, her adoptive mother. Um, but it just, there's so many things that it's just, despite, you know, the great environment or whatever that you're living in can't overcome. And it's just going to eventually kind of, and it's crazy to me too, that, um, I don't know, personal experience. I feel like a lot of these things can be onset during kind of those middle school puberty years or whatever. And that's what her, her mom said too, that like everything was fine up until about 12 years old. And then it just was like every other week she was running away or ditching school or just getting into all types of trouble. And it sounds like, yeah, like you said, it started in junior high and then she got kicked out of regular school. Right. She got put in an alternative school and then she really, you know, didn't want to be there. She ran away. Um, she eventually came home, but there were sort of these behavioral problems just constantly, it sounds like. And her poor mother, her adoptive mother, just sounds like she really um, got put through the ringer. Um, and yeah. then at the alternative school, um, she ran away. The police had to bring her back. Um, it sounds like the environment was just so structured and she just couldn't handle it. So it sounds like she just didn't want to be at home because, you know, she at that point had started drinking, smoking, getting yeah. high, um, and her adoptive mother just wouldn't allow that. So she continued to be a runaway and <sighs> escape that, which yeah. is so sad. Yeah. Yeah. You can definitely see kind of those traits coming out. And I don't know. It's crazy because her mom, and like I said, she's stuck by her through this whole thing and she has wanted the best for her daughter. And I would assume, too, being a teacher herself, that she obviously had some training and background um, dealing with children in desperate, difficult situations mm-hmm. or whatever. And just I can't imagine trying to give this child the best that you can. And then it's just like, what else can I do? What am I doing wrong? How else can I help her? And it's just kind of like out of your hands. Where do you there. go from there? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'm actually curious from our listeners if they think that um, Sintoya should have been transferred to adult court, federal court, or if she should have stayed in juvenile court. Um, and keeping in mind that the only sentence in adult court was life in prison. Um, and basically that Sintoya's lawyers really had the deck stacked against them. They had to show not only that Sintoya had these identifiable mental health issues and these circumstances that could be corrected with the proper treatment. Right. Um, but also that it was worth even trying to, you know, quote unquote, save her soul um, in a case where somebody was killed. Somebody was shot and killed. So, I mean, maybe we should go into the night of the murder and yeah, see what everybody just thinks. Say. So it was August 6th, 2004. Um, Centoya was with her boyfriend, what she considered at that point her boyfriend, Meanwhile, she's a 16-year-old. Um, and I think cut. I think her boyfriend, quote-unquote, um, was maybe, like, in his mid-20s. He was 24. Yeah, 24 and so much more. Yeah, so much less. Um, <laughs> um, and she sort of viewed him as a guy she was dating, but um, even she had the wherewithal during interviews to say, you know, at the time I thought it was a guy I was dating, yeah. I thought it was a boyfriend, but... In reality, the outside world, and now I myself, would view him as a pimp. Right. Um, so his name in there. Yeah, his name is Cutthroat. Yeah. Or Cut for short. Yeah, that's very what she appealing. Him cut. Oh, so yeah, pretty much. Uh, they were living at a motel, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. the in-town suites, and he essentially was pimping her out and said, "Hey, you got to go out there and get some money." Yeah, you're slipping and yeah. you're slacking and whatever like start making some money around here right so she went out um and was at the local sonic drive-in this was in nashville tennessee and uh johnny michael allen was in the parking lot uh he was a real estate agent 43 year old and he was also a youth pastor and sunday school teacher and he also had started working with the homeless ministry at his local baptist church good guy on paper exactly (laughs) um but he pretty much uh approached her and said asked her if she was hungry and said are you up for any action Mm -hmm. um and again given centoya's background the situation she's in she said yes to both of those 
and he pretty much brought her bought her food and brought her back to his house yes and they bargained that um there would be action quote-unquote aka sexual favors for 150 bucks right um once at the house and um basically Sintoya kind of remarks that she saw a couple guns downstairs at the guy's house um and he sort of was bragging about what a sharp shooter he was and maybe former like military experience right. i think yep um and usually Sintoya kind of um said that she would not go to people's homes men's homes when she That's was prostituting yeah this was like the first time or one of the few times she had actually gone to a, a, a john's home yeah so normally she went to motels or you know other kind of places like that um but she really started to get nervous in this man's home and increasingly nervous as this guy started talking more and more about his accomplishments and um you know different parts of his life that showed how important he was presumably um she started to feel really powerless at his house she realized that you know if she were to perish at the house no one would really know what became of her her mom didn't know where she was you know nobody really knew where she was and who really was she to this man who's talking about how powerful and great he is yeah so um her kind of tactic was they went downstairs into the basement into the bedroom and what she explained was that her thinking was there was a back door there and she was hoping that they could kind of go down there lay down fall asleep and if he fell asleep she could kind of just sneak out the back door there um but this isn't what happened she described it and i have to say like we said earlier her testimony was just very believable yeah to me. very like, straightforward yeah, very yeah. compelling i just it was i don't know i believed her yeah you know? I, I i did too it just to me her testimony was there was one point where she was um, – the prosecutor was questioning her about, well, what did you – what did you think you were doing there then? Or or why did you – I forget what he said. It was like, well, then, you know, why did you shoot him? And she's like, because I was scared for my life. I thought he was going to shoot me. And it you could even see – I looked at the people in the background of mm-hmm. the shot, and they were like – They were convinced. They yeah, were, yeah, it, they were it, nodding it along with her. Like, and he didn't respond back because it's just like – how can you argue with that? It's the type of thing where you say if you lie, it's harder to remember a lie and get it correct every time. And to be able to just be so off the cuff like that and tell her story, I found her believable. Um, yeah. So I what did she too. what she said though was that he kept grabbing her between her legs, and she Cute. was yeah lovely. You know, a young sixteen year old girl and a forty three year old man here. Ugh. Um, and she would kind of um, readjust, like kind of shift and pretend to try to be asleep still. Right, but, but she was afraid to really move in any right. kind of dramatic way because there's guns all around. Right, right. Yeah. And so um, the last last time he just grabbed her so hard that she kind of jerked, I guess. And, and sort of um, turned around and, you know. Yeah, made it evident that this was not okay with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And it sounds like he really gave her like a fierce kind of look yeah you know like a dangerous look yep um and she claims that at that point he sort of turned his back to her and reached around to the side of the bed and it's Sintoya's claim that she thought he was grabbing a gun right. to shoot her with um and before he could do so she grabbed a gun herself and shot him yep so <laughs> oh on that note no but i i mean and to give some of the other facts too so she did shoot him um but she also then went and stole 172 dollars from his wallet Mm -hmm. um two firearms and also fled in his truck and so this was the crux word of the day i guess (laughs) apparently on this episode um of the um prosecution's argument was Mm -hmm. that she shot him because she wanted to rob him and get away with it um yeah and yeah and obviously like we said Sintoya's whole case centers around it being self-defense you know that she was afraid for her life that she thought he was grabbing a gun he's been talking about his guns all night he she saw several of his guns around the house 
it was a logical implication that, you know, he was about to shoot her because she wasn't giving up what she had offered him initially. And I have to say, too, the fact that if there's a gun in such close proximity that she could grab it, to me, that kind of even more so lends credence to her argument that, like, there's guns all around. Like, totally. she's able to just grab some random guy's gun and shoot him. It's like the gun show up in here. Yeah, sun's out, guns out. Like. Right, exactly. <laughs> sun's in, fun's in. Yeah, oh, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, like, who knows what he had in his nightstand or under his pillow or under the mattress. Like, yeah. she didn't know. No, exactly. I don't know. Yeah, it was uh, pretty crazy to me. Yeah. And she sort of, um, so all of these facts came out during the hearing that was supposed to determine just whether she was going to stay in juvenile court or be transferred to adult court. And Centoya really felt that that hearing was less about just this procedural issue. And it was more like a whole cross-examination and an adversarial proceeding. Which I can't, I can't disagree with. I can't disagree either. I mean, it really... It felt, like you said, I mean, when the prosecutor turned around to question her, it felt combative. It felt like a cross. It felt, you know, very much like it was her proving her case. It wasn't her being decided on um, whether she was going to adult or um, juvenile court. It was was the facts of the case, and she was, you know, defending herself. And it's just crazy, too. So the thing that struck me, too, which... (sighs) sounding privileged over here but like our right. you know college experience or whatever i'm thinking when i went to college we're 18 um and to me that was the first time really being kind of off on your own where everything you do all the decisions you make are on you yeah um and it just was crazy to me to watch this 16 year old and also the 16 year old who's been through so much trauma um to go through the court system and meet with these psychiatrists and meet Mm -hmm. with, you know, even seeing the video of her meeting with the officers and everything. And it's just like, all of this is done on her own. And it just felt so weird to me that it's not even like she doesn't have a parent or guardian or somebody Mm -hmm. there. It's just like, she's having to navigate this and trust what these people are saying as a child. Yes. Who are evaluating her. And it just, it was so crazy to me. And just seeing her in court during this and then later, um, you know, court appearances and everything, it, it was just it really astounding how she carried herself, um, just how she navigated through this whole process as a child. I don't know. It just yeah. it's crazy. Well, and right down to even the Miranda rights. Yeah. There was a serious Miranda yeah. rights issue in this case. Yeah. I mean, and apparently they gave the statistic, which I thought was probably even shy of the reality because what minor is expected to understand their Miranda right. rights, but apparently 90% of minors don't understand them and they end up talking to the cops before their parent or their lawyer is there with them. Which I can 100% see because they're scared. They're well, and it's somebody in authority and mm-hmm. you know, and you don't know. I mean, Hey, somebody's saying you have the right to remain silent, but you know, if I'm a kid, I'm thinking, well, won't that make me look bad? And what authority do I really have to say, I'm not going to talk to you until my lawyer's here? I mean, who has the wherewithal to say that? Yeah. And I'm I'm just thinking the power difference, like an adult and a child, and then you've got an adult in this like super power position. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just think there's easy ways for cops to manipulate children and Mm -hmm. You know, just looking at even making a murderer and everything like it's so easy for them to kind of get kids talking and, you know, even when they don't know their rights and they've been read their rights, but it's kind of just like such a gray area. And I don't know. I just I can't believe that. Again, it goes back to the like, why do we have this 18 year old limit? If it's not really respected exactly in all of these things, like, why aren't the parents there? Oh, 100%. And, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's fascinating that she got put in this position. And like you said, I think she really did handle it very well in light of how young she was and um, how little she knew about the legal system, which, like, who is going to know anything about the legal system? Unless you're tied up in it at this young age. Um, But, yeah, I mean, she thought and rightfully so that 
you know, these cops were going to get her like a diminished sentence. She thought that they were going to make some kind of deal with, you know, God knows who and help her out. And she just, you know, she was wrong and she talked and there just are all these sort of preliminary issues that her defense rightfully, you know, seized on. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, I don't know. It's just, there's so many issues when you're dealing with kids. Yeah. Well, so it was interesting because, so I'm the one that brought up this topic as, um, you know, a possible episode topic. Um, Several years ago on YouTube, I had found her original documentary and I started watching it several years ago and it was just hard. And I, so I stopped watching it. Um, (laughs) And then of course, during quarantine, looking for stuff to watch. And I thought of this and I wasn't able to find it again on YouTube and I realized after watching it this new documentary on Netflix that they took this original documentary and you could definitely tell you know it stops kind of I don't know what what year would that be when she was like 16 17 yeah maybe 2005 2006 yeah maybe yeah five six and then it picks up all of a sudden and we're back at like 2016 17 18 Mm -hmm. Um, and so that whole original part is essentially that original documentary. And then the second part is, I think, what Netflix, I hadn't seen that before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It just, it was crazy to see the difference, because I think maybe that's where we want to go now, is yeah. the difference that um, all those years brought. And I do just want to say up front, the thing that struck me like we were saying beforehand where um, the psychiatrist brought up about her being 16, her mom being 16 when she had her, and then spoiler mm-hmm. alert, she eventually gets out after 15 years, essentially all, almost half of her life. She's, mm-hmm. And it's like, it's this weird 16, 16, 16 almost. Right. Um, you know, year pattern. It, yeah, it was just really weird and and crazy to me because it was like there she is at 16 and that's how old her mom was when she had her and there she is at 31 getting out of jail and that's you know almost how old her mom was when she went to jail and it just it it, I don't know it was really weird to me yeah no that's that's a really good point just these weird um patterned like nuances of families and cyclical yeah um, yeah, exactly totally yeah so we brought up earlier in 2017 uh she was 29 years old at this point this was when the new law came into effect that minors couldn't be sentenced to life without parole so Um, all these cases sort of came back up for review yep including centoyas exactly and then i think it was right around this time 2017 2018 um, she started blowing up on social media with the hashtag free Centoya Brown. Kim Kardashian, Rihanna, T.I., Lana Del Rey, LeBron James were all tweeting this. So this really got her case out there in front of everyone. Yeah. And basically, long story short, um, all of this new interest in her case, revitalized interest, ended up kind of convincing the Tennessee governor who was Bill Haslam at the time, mm-hmm. um, changing her original sentence to 15 years, um, which led to her release just this past August. Yeah, it was crazy. So um, she was released after, like you said, the 15 years. Uh, she had seven months in kind of a halfway program to get her reacclimated to which this always looking at anybody who's been in prison for a long time, mm-hmm. like I cannot imagine. I even like the tech difference from. Oh my god! Yeah, well, it's like living in a time capsule. Yeah. I'm sure to some extent that always baffles me, and I I would love to learn more about that, or if there's a documentary out there about people kind of coming into that new world that just. It, that is so interesting to me. Yeah, it's like you've really been a mole person yeah. for all of those years. And they're really, they're just, it's lost time. It is. It, it 100% is. And um, luckily, I mean, it's good that Centoya got to kind of use that time to go to school yeah. and to, you know, finish her education and, um, you know, just, she made use of it. She didn't just sit there and twiddle her thumbs for all those years. 
Um, but still, I mean, to come out into the world yeah. and ha- having not been a part of it for so long. Since you were 16. Oh, it's Think just about that. Like, insane. think about who you were at 16. Right. And she's pretty close to our age. So yeah. it would be similar to if we went away at 16 That's and crazy. came back, like, now. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's insane. But um, so August 7th, 2019, she was officially released. While she was in there, she earned two college degrees and also wrote a memoir, um, which I haven't read, but I watched a couple interviews after she uh, was released and discussing her memoir, and apparently it was very graphic, raw, and just uh. very honest, so I can only imagine. Um, so now she is married to a recording artist named Jay Long, which I do have for a little bit of humor in this story. A funny... Oh, good. Yeah. I don't know if you have anything else to add, but I have... No. Hop in there, buddy. I do have a funny story. So I was looking up some of her interviews, and one of the ones was, how did she meet her husband? And Ah. he... I guess it was during kind of the height of when her case was kind of going viral on social media and everything. And he watched the documentary that I was talking about the original one and so he's being interviewed with her and he's like she knows I'm not a big tv fan I've had that I had this on you know YouTube on my tv or whatever for a couple days and I finally watched it didn't think I'd finish it and you know I I watched the whole thing and I decided that I, I had to write her so he wrote a whole note and then he goes and is about to mail it and he again hears the voice of God, which is a little concerning. Um, and it, it gets a little more concerning. Um, he says that God told him to burn the edges of the letter. What? Yeah. And so he, it, it, it it's, it's a, after going to Catholic school, it's a little too voodoo-y for yeah, me. Yeah, a little like, too close to home. Yeah, it's just a little too like, he was like, God... God's servants hear his voice and and obey. They don't question. Yikes. Okay. Mm. So he burnt the edges of this letter, mailed it to her, and then apparently because, you know, she was becoming so popular with her case and everything, she was getting a ton of letters. And he's like, the burnt edges were what caught her attention. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, go figure. So that's why she wrote back, and now they're married. Uh, Well, I guess God knew that she was into burnt shit. Just like a burning bush. Talk about a burning letter. Yeah, burning letter. Mm -hmm. There you go. But, I mean, it was a huge victory for all these people. Yeah. You know, now that uh, she got released, and it was like this big women's law um, success story, because really this kind of um, renowned knowledge about Sintoya's case and renowned enthusiasm for her freedom came in large part from the Me Too movement. And oh, really? Yeah, and people noticing, I mean, you know, seeing, hey, wait a minute, this wasn't somebody who was out there to murder someone. Right. This was a woman in a, a... child. Yeah, and in an inferior position to somebody much older, much stronger, surrounded by weapons, um, who really was in a dangerous scenario, and she thought that she was threatened and acted accordingly. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's kind of a neat thing for Betsy Boss because it's kind of a girl power story and it's a story of redemption it's a story of um women's rights and women coming into their own power getting a second chance um because really a lot of these women who were on Sintoya's side thought she really never should have been in prison in the first place um and the fact of the matter is I mean while Sintoya was incarcerated and I have this oh here we go so Apparently, when Sintoya was incarcerated, she was one of more than 180 inmates who were serving life sentences in the state of Tennessee for crimes that they committed when they were teenagers. That's just Tennessee. That's just Tennessee. Wow. So it was a really common issue to have these teenage crimes, you know, just leaving a yeah. lifelong mark. Well, it, it, it makes so much sense, too, because... Your brain isn't fully developed until what? It's like 21, 22. Yeah, right? Like, if that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. I know some people who it's still developing. Oh, tell me about it. Mine's still developing, Mm, I think. (laughs) I think. (laughs) But it just, 
it makes sense, like I said earlier, where it's like, that is such a wasted life to be like, yes. all right, we're just, we're throwing, throwing your life away, essentially. Yep, no second chances. You yeah. fucked up. It's over. I mean, granted, you know, somebody did die, but it's just, you just have to look at all the extenuating factors. You have to look at her psychological background. You have to look at her family history. There's just all these um, pieces factors. that come yeah. together that allow this to be a much different case than you know it was originally viewed yeah and I think just being a child I think it like I said earlier again like you just owe it we as a society owe it to children to at least take a look at their case later on not just be like well you're 12 you're (laughs) you're you know sentenced to you know adult prison here you're right it's ridiculous and well too bad for you the rest of your life is how this is how you're gonna live it like even if there is the rare case where it's like all right this individual should be locked up for life i think it still is worthwhile uh to reevaluate those cases at certain points i don't think it should just be like you're 12 and All right, bye. Yeah, and one set treatment for every single person. I mean, like you said, there's there should be a different treatment based on the extenuating circumstances, and every case should be fully evaluated for all of those circumstances. I mean, that's what makes kind of these forensic psychologists and um, pathologists just so interesting and so important because very important yeah Yeah. all those facts just really need to be brought together yeah i mean we don't know what was going on in centoya's mind back then but we can get a better idea of it if we actually look at you know all of those factors yeah yeah yep thank you so much for listening to today's episode of betsy boss podcast if you'd like to find us online our Instagram and Facebook are at Betsy Boss Podcast. Our Twitter is at Betsy Boss Pod. Our website is BetsyBossPodcast.com. And if you'd like to email us, we are at BetsyBossPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.